Good morning. I'm looking out here. I'm seeing, I'm seeing some, uh, some Seahawks gear. I, uh, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Today's a big game. Today's a big game. Oh, man. I'm, I'm Pat. I'm one of the pastors on the team here, and we are in week two. We just started a, a series, a new series last week. We're in week two of a series where we're just walking through this tiny little letter, this little, little tiny book in the Bible called Colossians. And so we're still in chapter one, and it's, uh, it's exciting. I'm, I'm actually super stoked about the passage today because it, when, when I think of it, it really allows us to get to see Jesus more clearly. Uh, there's, there's certain passages in Scripture where it's just Jesus comes totally into like perfect view, perfect vision. And, and when I think of that, when I think of that phrase of something becoming really clear or kind of, kind of having really accurate vision, uh, what my mind goes to is earlier this year. Earlier this year... On a Monday evening, February 19th, if I remember correctly, uh, it, it's in the middle of those cold, dark months, you know, uh, and I had an evening appointment in, in this office in Bellevue. A friend picked me up, took me to this appointment, and there I was on a Monday evening, February 19th, reclined back in this chair, staring into this machine, watching this flashing light kind of slowly make a circle, and this calm voice next to me saying, just keep focused on the flashing light. Just keep your eye on the flashing light. 30 more seconds, 20 more seconds, 10 more seconds, almost there. Good job, good job. And so, so, so I, that was the experience I was having on, that, on, on a Monday night earlier this year. Uh, uh, let, let, let me hit pause, first of all. Uh, anyone in here, you're part, of the, you're part of the crew, you're part of the tribe of the corrective lens folk. You wear glasses, or you have contacts, yes, and you need them, yeah. That was me, Corey, for sure. Nice, those are nice spectacles, bro. Uh, uh, that was me. From the third grade, I clearly needed, needed glasses. Uh, a, a very strong prescription, in fact. Negative 5.75. So, so pretty thick, like made out of like Pyrex dishes, like very thick. And, and so, so that was me uh, growing up, up until February 19th, up until, up until earlier this year. And, and so there I am, and I'm staring, I'm reclining in this chair, look, looking into this, this flashing light. And if you don't like gross things, cover your ears. But as, as, I, as I lay there, as, I, as I'm staring in, I can smell this laser incinerating the flesh of corneal tissue off of my eyeball, reshaping it, reshaping it. And, and, and the, at the conclusion of the surgery, they, they send you home with an ice pack. And, and, and a little bottle of eye numbing drops, which you just keep pounding. Like, imagine, like, there were lasers in your eyes, you know? <laughs> like, help me. Help me with the pain. So, so you're, you have ice packs. You have eye numbing drops. They tell you don't rub your eyes. Whatever you do, don't rub your eyes. You don't want that corneal flap to, 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 to get, come off again. It needs to heal and adhere again. And, 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 and then we'll see you tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. So come back the next day. And, and, and they sit me in the, the chair where they pull up that, like, little, uh, little vision test, you know, where the E's at the top. Everyone knows E. Everyone feels super proud about the first letter. E, yeah. Oh, awesome. You know, obviously. But, uh, and, and, and you just keep going down the, the, down the lines. And I, I finished. This is just the next day after the surgery. I, I had sharper vision, even better vision than 2020. And, 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 and there was this LASIK surgery is just, just crazy. It just blows my mind what it's able to do. And what I would say is this passage today, Paul, the author of this letter to this church in this town, Kawase, he writes it at the request of a partner in ministry. And, and the request to this person is like, give us some theological LASIK, Paul. 
where things are a little off the rails. There's, there's some heresy. There's some false teaching going on in the church. Would you help us see things more clearly? And that's exactly what Paul's about in this letter, in this book of Colossians. And so we're in the second part of chapter 1, and we're getting ready. Guys, no worries. There's, there's, there's no ice packs I'm sending you home with today. No, 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 no medicine. I'm not going to make you sign any waivers that today's message may leave you permanently blind. Like, there's none of that. It's pain-free. We just get to sit here together and learn some great truths out of Scripture. And so we're going to start in verse 15. And I should say this. I should give just a, a brief little backdrop. Uh, uh, for, for all of us to kind of be on the same page, is, is one of the heresies that Paul is having to come against is known as Gnosticism. And, and a part of Gnosticism is, in this particular context, and it actually continues to happen still today, is that it picks on Jesus. It essentially says Jesus isn't divine. He's not God. He, he is less than God. And that's, and that's what Paul's coming against. So to have that in our minds as we read this is, is going to be key. And you'll, you'll see why. All right, so Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and you can follow along in your notes if you'd like. It says this, it says, The Son, who is Jesus, by the way, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. There's actually a lot packed into there, so I'm going to pause and, and, and just unpack uh, briefly here. But, but the first fill-in, the first kind of point of today to walk away with, to, to jot down, is that Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. I'm currently in this journey through seminary and learning so much, and it's just so fun. I'm, I'm just really enjoying this, this, this season of life and, and of learning. And my favorite theological professor that I have is this guy right here. He's on the left. I love this guy. This, this little man, this little 20-month-old, 20 21-month-old now, uh, little guy, sailor, uh, he has taught me more about who God is and really who humanity is. Like, we're sinners from the get-go. Trust me. I I've, I've now know. Uh, <laughs> he's taught me more than perhaps anyone in these past 21 months, for sure. This week, we were playing a little game. He's just, it's just a really fun stage. Everything's super funny. And, and he's funny. Guys, he has a great personality. If you tell him, hey, sailor, touch your nose, he goes like this. <laughs> he just, and, and, and now it's been going so long, we're like, oh, wait, maybe he really doesn't know what his nose is. <laughs> like, joke might be on us. But uh, anyways, anyways, he's super funny. And, and, and I'm in the bathroom, and I see his little hand kind of come through the, the, the bottom of the doorway there and stick out. So I walk over, and I kind of pinch it, and he pulls it back and kind of giggles. And, and so we kind of keep it that for a little bit, playing this little game of kind of tag. And, 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 I, and so I have evidence of him being there, no question, right? I, I, I can see aspects of him, parts of who he is. I can, I can hear him and his giggle, and, and, and so I can kind of know a little bit about him. Uh, but it's far different than this other game we play. There's this other game that we play right now that's, that's also fun. And it involves a mirror. And so he stands in this other room, and I stand in the hallway where we can both see each other in this mirror. And so we're not, he's, he's, not, uh, he's not far away, but he's not necessarily like right next to me either. But this mirror connects us. And in this mirror, we can play kind of peekaboo and make funny faces. We can interact in a way where I have a perfect image, a perfect view of who he is, of his countenance, of the joy kind of coursing through his little body. And there's something in that, I think, in that analogy. And all analogies fall short for sure. But I think for us to realize, if you want to know who God is, 
Paul's saying you have to look at Jesus. You get to look at Jesus. God has delivered the perfect image of who he is, and it's Jesus. If you're curious about who God is, what he's like, characteristics, values, priorities, the essence of who he is, look at Jesus. That's what Paul's saying here. And then he continues, and it gets a little strange. It can get a little confusing here, because then he says, and he's the firstborn over all creation. And that word firstborn, the way it's quickly interpreted, which would be incorrect, is that he's the first created of creation. That somehow Jesus is a created being, which, which is heresy in and of itself. And that's actually not the term that Paul's using in, in firstborn here. Uh, the word in the Greek is prototokos. And, and what it means is this idea of the firstborn. That in that culture, if you were the firstborn, actually, if you're a firstborn in the house, raise your hand. Let's, let's see who you are. Okay, we all know, we all know how you're wired. You're born and you think you rule and you reign and you're supreme. That's actually what this term means, of all things. We all know now, 2,000 years after this was written, who are the babies in the room? It's the babies who rule the roost, trust me. Uh, my little brother is getting married this week and family I didn't even know I had is coming to his wedding the 11 years ago. They were not even, not even close to coming to Spokane for mine. And, and his is in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, which I've never heard of until a week ago. Uh, but anyways, anyways, what Paul's getting at here, the firstborn of creation, he's actually saying that it's Jesus who's preeminent, who's supreme, who reigns over all things, over the entire cosmos. And so good theology would say this. If you had to distill it down into three words, it would be that Jesus over all. Does that not just make for a great series title, too? Like, that's, that's exactly what we're going after and what we're discovering. Again, it's giving us kind of this, this, this good, this helpful kind of LASIK a little bit for our beliefs, for our, for, our, for our theology. And so it continues. And here's where Paul goes in verses 16 and 17. He says, for by him, again, this focus is Jesus throughout this passage. For by him, all things were created. How many things? All things. Oh, attention to detail. You guys are great. Great. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things. How many things? All things were created by him and for him. He is the source of it all and the telos. He is the end of it all. He is, he, he is the center. And it continues. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. The next fill-in, the next fill-in to kind of capture this into a smaller sentence for us would be this. The creator and sustainer of all things is Jesus. The creator and the sustainer of all things is Jesus. Earlier, I briefly mentioned that Paul's coming against a particular heresy, Gnosticism. Part of Gnosticism is actually this belief that there's God and then there's this evil, evil creation. Anything physical is bad, is to be done away with, is to be destroyed, which is heretical. And, and, and the view that the Gnostics would say is that Jesus is somewhere in between this. And they would believe in all these emanations of God-like spiritual things, kind of these, these powers and these rulers and authorities that kind of rule and reign in different areas and quadrants and in different ways. And, and what Paul is saying, to, if, if he were to say this today, or if, if I were to put it in my own words, Paul's essentially saying this. He's saying, okay, Colossians, 
whatever you hear is out there, visible, invisible, rulers, powers, authorities, Jesus is over all of it. Jesus was before it all. He's the very source of it all. He sustains it all. He holds it all together. Guys, I'm telling you, Jesus isn't some emanation, some some God-like thing. Jesus is God. That's what Paul's getting at here. That's what he's, 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 he's trying to, to remind them of. And they've heard this. This is the good news they responded to. But they've kind of gotten off the rails a little bit. Jesus, he holds all things together. The entire cosmos. All things. From a molecular and biological level to an intergalactic, multidimensional, metaphysical level. Jesus holds it all together. This week for me personally, that was a phrase I had to hold on to. I had four days. It was back to back to back to back. Just 16, 17 hour days of just nonstop going, going, going. Work and school and, and just you end the day and there's still more to do. And, and all, even as you're sleeping, it's like you're running through and creating a to-do list for the next day. Like just exhausting. And I know so many of us find ourselves in those places. And I realize in those times, like, I can't even, not only can I not hold all things together, I can't hold even just what's on my little plate, just for today, just for tomorrow, just for this week. I can't even hold that together. My encouragement would be that we don't try to hold all things together. That's what Jesus does. What we get to do, we get to hold to him. That's who we hold on to. And that's who we make a huge deal about here at Overlake. Because if we do that, it radically changes things. Radically. Verse 18, we're continuing here. And Paul continues by saying, and he, again Jesus, it's all about Jesus this morning. And and Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn. So there's that term firstborn again, which we know what that means. But this is interesting. Firstborn from among the dead. What? Whoa, come on, Craig's right. Whoa. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. Let's start with the church. And, and, and again, if you weren't here last week, definitely worth catching up online. Uh, Mike's message from last week. He talks on the church some there. Uh, and, and I'll just address it briefly here. But, but the church, the body of Christ, is not a building. It's not a particular day or time in the week. What is it? It's us. It's people. It's a living organism. It's this mosaic of every tribe and tongue and nation. And that's represented in this room. And what, 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 what Paul's getting at is like, guys, you, Colossians, and I would say Overlake, you, the one who's in charge of this place, the lead, lead pastor of this place is Jesus. Amen. What he says goes. His ways go. He reigns. He's supreme. You take your orders from him. What is a body like without a head? Dead. Good theology. Yes. Dead. I have not met a person without a head that I've been able to shake their hand, right? Think of it. Even a dead body actually serves more as a liability because of the disease that can fester and how that can spread to other living things around it than anything else. It's a liability. For the church to be alive, to be pumping with the Spirit of God, is for Christ to be supreme. For Jesus to be the head, the source, the one who's in charge. And then Paul, he goes into this statement that we discovered that's like a little strange. He's first born from among the dead. 
Well, luckily, we know that word, prototokos, is really getting at this idea of being supreme, reigning, kind of being preeminent over, and, and it talks about death. So what's going on here? Well, this is really the next fill-in that you actually have, so you can just fill this in. Jesus is supreme even over death, even over death. As I think about a great way to explain this, what comes to mind is probably my favorite movie that came out when I was in sixth grade. It was so good, and it, it contains one of my favorite actors of all time. Who has seen the movie Men in Black? Men in Black. Tommy Lee Jones, Will Smith. If you haven't seen it, essentially, there's this organization that somehow manages the aliens that live on Earth. Some aliens are good and peaceful. That's great. Some, not so much. They're dealing with one that actually poses great risk to the entire globe. Like all of Earth could somehow be destroyed if this one alien is able to leave Earth. And so the climax of the movie is Agent K, uh, Tommy Lee Jones' character, and, and, and Will Smith are, are battling this alien. They call it the bug. They're battling this bug. And, and what happens, quite frightfully, is that Tommy Lee Jones is consumed by the alien. Swallowed whole. He enters into the bowels of the beast. Gone. It feels hopeless. There's, there, there's nothing but destruction in mind. And then suddenly, without warning, this beast blows up from the inside. And there stands Tommy Lee Jones, Agent K, victorious. Do you see the parallels? Do you understand resurrection life yet? How am I doing on using film as theology, right? There's some truth in there. Here's what we believe as Christians. If you are a Jesus follower, you believe this, whether you realize it or not. And it's important you believe this. You actually believe that Jesus is fully human. We have to believe that. How else is he going to go into death but to actually be human, to enter into death. Jesus literally died on a cross. It happened. Historical event. A human named Jesus died on a wooden cross. But Jesus is also fully divine. He is God, remember? So what happens? He goes into death. But because he is the living God... Death can't hold him. He overcomes it. Death bows down to who Jesus is. Death says, I can't compete. It's important that we understand what Jesus has done. It's the first act of the new creation. Jesus returns, right? Comes out of the tomb. Not as some emanation, not as some God spirit, some floating thing. It's flesh and blood. Touch my hands. Want to see the side? I, I will prove to you I am new creation. He enters in. He embodies the very promise he gives all of us, that he gives all of creation. The early church got this. I feel like sometimes we, we parts of our faith tradition sometimes kind of end up getting left behind as we move forward into modernity and other things. Guys, this is important we get. And, and in fact, there's, there's this beautiful, beautiful fresco in, in, in kind of the dome of the side chapel of a church in Istanbul. We'll throw it up here. This is the Anastasis right here. This is what it's called. It's, it's the resurrection. 
Christ resurrected is here. You can tell it's dark in the sky there. And what's happening is he has descended into death, into hell. But he's living. He's alive. And not only that, but look at what's at his feet, those kind of brown things that are sticking out. Those are the doors of Haiti that have been blown down. If you can get really zoomed in on this, and it's not, it, the definition's not great enough, but you can see those little white things kind of floating in the air and stuff. Those are like locks and keys and chains, and it's showcasing that Jesus has done what Jesus declared he'd do. First sermon he gives, right? I'm going to set the captives free. I'm going to fulfill what's in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. This is happening. And if you know some of the people in the pictures, like King David and Moses and Adam and Eve and John the Baptist and some martyrs and... And so there's this pictorial image of exactly what it is that we believe. And it's important we recognize that, that Jesus literally is over all things, including death, including death. Let me now continue as we move into verses 19 and, and 20 and 21 and 22. Paul says this, he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Again, we remember that, that Jesus is fully God, fully God. And through him to reconcile to himself, how many things? All things. All things. He's making all things right with him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, you can kind of see a little bit of this theme of like, all right, whatever those Gnostics are saying, table it for a second. I'm telling you, Jesus is Lord, and he's making all things right. He's making all things right. How is it done? It's done through this next phrase, by making peace through his blood. It'd definitely be worth circling that or starring that or underlining it. Shed on the cross. Again, this cross is in full view of its importance, of what it plays in the history of all of creation. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, in your minds, in our minds. Has God viewed us as enemies or have we viewed him as our enemies? Paul's saying, we're the ones that have run away from God, wrapped into this lie that somehow he's our enemy. So what's God's view towards us? Oh, in your minds and because of your evil behavior. So our, our behavior just backs it up. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. So what, is, what has God done? God has sent his son Jesus on a rescue mission out of, out of a ridiculous amount of love. Radical love, outlandish love. That's his view towards us. His only disposition towards you, his only thoughts towards you is, is one of love and worthy of pursuing. To, uh, uh, body through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Again, if I had just eight words to, I think, try to encapsulate this, it would be uh, your last fill-in on your notes. That Jesus, Jesus, I love, he, he got a fill-in every time this morning. <laughs> He should always get a fill-in. Jesus really is always the right answer in church. You're, you're finding out. Jesus makes what? He makes peace. Peace by making all things right. All things right. I've kind of substituted that word reconciled for, for that word right. Because I think we use right more often. And, and so that's what I'm doing there. Uh, again, Paul, Paul is coming against the Gnostics. I know we're kind of getting into this. But, but it's important because it's not just something the church dealt with 2,000 years ago. It's still well and alive today. Paul, he, he, he makes reference to Christ's physical body. That's intentional. Again, the Gnostics, they thought like anything on earth was just evil, was forsaken. It's totally condemned, worth burning. And, and the goal, in fact, would be to escape this place. 
Paul is saying, no, 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 no. It's actually Jesus, the one who came in the flesh, who actually is, is not, not, not coming uh, to, to send out escape pods, but he's coming to bring his way, his kingdom. Heaven invades earth now. And that's what he's articulating here. And that's what Jesus promises, is to make all things new, all things right. And so that's exactly what Paul's getting at. And if I had to somehow explain this, and I actually I would say if Paul had to explain this, if, if we were to somehow get Paul in some like time travel machine and bring him to today, I could see him explaining it this way, what this passage means. If, if he was sitting down uh, having an IPA with, with a bro or, or, or just having a latte with, with someone, which I'd, I'd be curious just to see what he thought of those things. But, but here, here's, what, here's what perhaps you would hear him say to someone. Because of what Jesus has done, you are good with God. There's nothing he holds against you. In fact, you're made perfect because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. Amen. That's how he would explain. You've been made right. You're good. You're free of accusation. There's no blemish. You're holy. You're perfect. Not based on anything you did. We, we all admit we can't. We would fall way too short if, if, if it were ever up to us. But because of what Jesus has done. Because of who Jesus is. And Paul would say, perhaps, oh, you're looking for proof, are you? Exhibit 1A, right here. He would point to the cross, and it's in there. It's in that passage. Blood shed on the cross. Say, that's, that's how peace was made. That's what it took. Let me back up. If, if, if we think even of just the... The, the, the cycle of, that humanity has been in from, from, from the very beginning. We realize that, 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 that there's just been this continual cycle of violence. That violence begets violence. That, 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 that it just continues without end. You can tell the entire human story by using just actual historical wars that have always taken place. It's, it's been without end. This world has never known complete peace. Even... Even peace that, that the Romans would, would, you know, Pax Romana. Uh, how, how was that done? Right? But through war. Through oppression. So there's been this cycle of violence that humanity has been caught up in. And it's unending. And it's in different forms. There's violence even against creation. We've committed extreme violence against this world's beauty and resources for our gain and pleasure. Rather than stewarding it as we've been asked to do as if it's a garden. Breaks my heart to think that there's an island of trash swirling off the coast of California, twice the size of the state of Texas. You can see it from space. There's the violence of war that we've talked about, just the extreme loss of life. There's the violence of poverty, the powerful have oppressed and silenced those on the margins. Extreme hunger, lack of medicine, unfair wages, harsh working conditions still continue. Still continue. Human progress has brought us into an age of billion-dollar super yachts and F-35 war jets, and yet still the needs of the most vulnerable continue to be neglected. Where is their hope? 
who can intervene? There's the violence caused by greed and shame, jealousy and lust. In this past two weeks, I can count a dozen of my female friends, co-workers, and family members who have bravely come forward to share their stories of sexual abuse. When will it end? Who can break the cycle? All of creation longs for peace. All of creation awaits to be made right. That's exactly what Jesus does. It's exactly what he does. And it's accomplished on the cross. My last illustration, again, I think to just make this feel concrete for us, is this, if you've ever seen a bolt of lightning, you ever seen one of those pictures where there's like a strike of lightning that struck like a, a lightning rod or a building or a tree or something. This actually, this happened uh, to the Space Needle in, in February, not of this year, but 2017. Lightning struck the Space Needle, and, and, and just the, the sheer power of one bolt of lightning, of all that power coalescing into a particular point, is hundreds of millions of volts. It's mind-boggling. It can power a city. It's, it's that powerful. What happens on the cross is the coalescence. It's the singularity of all sin, of all that's wrong, of all that's broken. All the things we've just talked about, and... It hits the cross. Jesus takes it all, absorbs it all. And what does he recycle it into? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And he alone has the power to forgive all those things in creation if he is the creator. Exactly what happens. What I'd love to do in this moment is actually have you stand. Because we're going to respond in a moment here, coming to the table. We'll have communion here together. So I invite you to stand, and I just want you to hear some of these words. I want you to hear if, as, as if Jesus were speaking this to you as an individual. You're good. You're blameless. You're holy. You're made perfect. There's nothing you can be accused of. It's been dealt with. Would you please believe me? Would you please believe me? Paul finishes this passage with this verse. Overlake, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel that you heard this morning. And that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And that of which I, Pat, have become a servant. <laughs> Guys, we have the opportunity this morning for today to matter in our faith journey. To take a step forward in our faith journey. To see Jesus a little clearer as to who he is and what he's done to truly worship him, to truly be changed by him, to truly take on the commission he's given his church of bring my kingdom, bring my kingdom of love. You saw how I set captives free. You saw how I healed people. You saw how I treated those on the margins and the stranger and the other. Go and do likewise. The Father has sent me and now I am sending you. 
And it's crystallized in tradition for us by something Jesus himself started. He gathered with his followers the evening before his death. The same night he gets sold out by one of his friends. He gets betrayed. And what he does is they sit around the table. He takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives it to them saying, this is my body broken for you. Then he passed around the cup and said, this is my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you do this, Overlake, as often as we do this, be reminded of who I am and what I have done and what I will do. We declare a powerful thing upon just ingesting a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice. Let me pray and then I would love to invite you to the table as you're ready. Jesus, we want to see you ever more clearly. So Spirit, even now, in what I've failed to say, would you speak? Would you give vision? Would you give thought towards? And I pray that there would just be an overwhelming posture of drawing near to you in this moment. Whether it's for the first day, first time, first moment in someone's journey in this room, that they would come to the table declaring who you are, creator, sustainer, image of God, the one who has overcome death itself, the one who has come to make all things right, who brings peace to this broken world, who promises to come and make all things new. And for those that are into their 80th year of this journey, would it be the same moment of declaring you as victor, you as Lord, you as good, you as love. In your name.